Welcome back to another episode of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. For today's episode, I am joined by one, my co-host Erica from the Cocktails and Capitalism podcast and Matt Luttrell. Matt, thank you for joining us on the show today. How are you doing? Erica, how are you doing? I'm doing great. So excited to be here with you, Desmond. I always love collaborating with you. It's always a good time and we go deep and uh, yeah, just just really looking forward to it. (laughs) And how are you doing, Matt? I I am all right. Not not too bad. Um, as good as I can be in the current situation. And I'm I'm glad to be here. It's uh it's a long anticipated episode. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We've been talking about this one for quite some time now. Now, Matt, you are joining us today because we had been trying to organize your warehouse, the Amazon warehouse that you work at in the state of Kentucky. Can just to kind of lay the groundwork for everyone really quickly here, what were like the conditions like in the warehouse that led you up to wanting to organize your workplace? Well, the conditions, um, the working conditions in specific are things like, you know, it's too hot in the warehouse all the time. And not only that, but in some areas, they never had fans. They, they would never put fans up or they wouldn't put water coolers up, which is, um, you know, when, when people don't even have access to drinking water they have to go quite far to go and get it actually um one of the main problems with that is now you're being penalized just for wanting to get drinking water you're um and you're hot you're sweating at the same time you know you're gonna need that water and then um those were like initial and constant constant conditions and the, not only that, but the fact that you're walking 20 miles or more per night per, and, and just a shift, 10 hour shift. Wow. And that's only speaking as a picker. You have uh, people that are even runners. So in addition to their job as a picker, a packer or a stower, they will have to go and get items that are called priorities. Those items, they have to go out now. So they have to run. They have to run to get those items. They have to then bring them over to um, the pack loft. And then those items have to get out like as soon as possible. They, they run them around. They can select anybody can to do a job like that. They usually select pickers because you're closest to the items. Yeah. And um, another one of the conditions is that recently and at, Recently at my facility, as of July 17th, but at other Amazon facilities for a long time, you are not even allowed to have comfortable footwear while you are doing it. What do you mean by comfortable footwear? Amazon decided to institute a policy called the safety shoe policy. You have to wear approved steel or composite toe shoes, steel toe or composite toe shoes. And when you're walking so much, and you know that's that's not good for your feet no they actually there's been so many studies done by actual chiropractors and other people who work on feet but um 
that, that they do more harm than good. There's there in a warehouse like mine, there was minuscule risk for an actual foot industry injury. And that is because of the fact that they don't do heavy items. There. None of the inventory is heavy. It's mostly apparel. So like they're afraid you're going to drop a baby sock on your foot and then you're going to need workers compensation. Doesn't make a lot of sense. It seems like once you start to injure your feet, then your workers compensation is going to need to go through and you're going to need, you know, they're going to have to pay it out more. It, it doesn't make any sense. It could make sense in a heavier fulfillment center where they tend to have a few more foot injuries, but not at SDF one and Campbellsville. You know, I want to ask a quick follow-up question before, you know, Erica asks her first question here. I had heard from other Amazon warehouses that Amazon has this policy that they refer to as like rate, where you have to make, you have to pick so many items per hour. And if you don't uh, hit that rate, then you have to, well, then you actually get like penalized or like written up or something of that effect. Was that true also at your warehouse? Yes. And it is like that at most warehouses, except in states where they, they literally cannot do that. Okay. It's only certain like state governments that prevents it Amazon from actually treating all workers that way. Yes. And here's the thing about it that is even worse is the lack of transparency around your rates. Mm-hmm. Um, not only do you have rates, but at the same time that you are trying to keep up with the rates, you are also trying to balance your time off task. Mm-hmm. Anytime that you are not scanning, you are, you are trying to limit that because, you know, and, and there's the obvious thing. They're judged as two different metrics, but if you have too much time off task, it lowers your rate quite a lot. If you have a low rate, you know, then um, you it's, it's an unexcusable offense unless you have like an accommodation. Okay. So if they choose to write you up with rates and I've been through this, um, you could you could tell them that you had you had to use the bathroom at this time. Um, you could tell them that you know you take a little bit in the bathroom because you have a urinary um, issue where you, where you can't really hold it. Amazon causes that in the first place by making you hold it so long. Right. But um, they they don't they don't excuse it. They will say something like. Um, this time has already been accounted for, meaning that they have a set amount of time that they think you should take anytime something occurs that would cause your productivity to be lowered. They call it the guardrail, the guardrail system. Like how a guardrail keeps you from going off the road, right? right? So they want to keep you from uh, getting off track and, and getting fired is what they say the purpose of it is. Of course, we all know that to be a lie. But the lack of transparency, as I was alluding to earlier, is um, you don't even know what your rate is supposed to be at most places. Mm. And that is evidenced by the fact that, you know, just, just to add concrete proof that this exists, there is the Warehouse Worker Protection Act. In New York, there's a version in California. And that is where you, um, that the company is required to notify you of your product productive goal at any given time 
and they're required to notify you when that changes. So at an Amazon facility like mine, the only metric you get to see is the average. And the rate, it fluctuates based on whether you are picking items that are going to go straight to the customer or if you're, um, if you're picking items that are going to have to go to a different warehouse. Okay. No, I appreciate you taking the time to explain that to us. So they judge that in specific. You will get penalized if, you're, if your productivity to goal and your percentage to goal is not meeting it for any of those certain patterns. And they change. They fluctuate at any given time because you're picking items and then your scanner will change you to a different um, path. You will start picking um, a, a load of different items that, that are going to a different destination. So you'll be picking customer orders for a minute and then your tote will tell you that you've picked all the items that you needed and your scanner will change over to another path, force you to log into a different tote. And then you have to pick those items for a different path. And your rate could go from as low as 70 units per hour to 120 units per hour within seconds. Jeez. And then you have to, you have to work faster and you don't know it. You, you do not know it. And then you don't get to see how you were doing with those items because you see your average. It makes me think about how um, that Amazon app that was created for employees and, and management to communicate where they like banned the word plantation and all these like slavery related words. Like if you're talking about pickers and rates and things, you can see why they wouldn't want to be associating their workplaces with plantations. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's a little bit, <laughs> but you know, unfortunately that's not the only, I guess, um, what's the right word to use? It's not the only like instances that we've heard of them, like abusing workers. There's also, you know, having workers work in extreme heat conditions as well. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about, when we talk about the, the actual physical conditions, I like to make the differentiation between the physical conditions and the behavior of management. The behavior of management is much more of a choice and um, management can always choose to have the workers backs. They always have that choice, but they disregard it. So whenever somebody is affected by their conditions at Amazon, management shows a great deal of apathy. Hmm. They, they will refuse to address the situation and make a permanent change. Management likes burnout. They like it because they can send you off, fire you, and they know that because you're a desperate person, you will come back as soon as you're eligible. And you will come back for the same starting pay. So let's say, let's say you, um, you made it there for a year and you got, you got like a dollar raise. You got a 50 cent raise at your six months. You got another 50 cent raise at your 12 months. And then now they want to get rid of you. Why? Because they could just, you know, fire you because you're burnout. You're, you're not as profitable and bring you back at a lower wage. And because, you know, 
you um you're desperate, you're gonna start working fast again. You're gonna start working just as hard as you were and on day one. Hmm. Hire to fire, and you cannot have turnover that is a hundred and fifty percent in the network without it being intentional. Wow, yeah. Uh, so the next question that we had for you was about something that we kind of already touched on. Uh, but the more perfect union reported back in August that Amazon warehouses in Tennessee had workers working in 145 degree temperatures. Was this also the case in your warehouse? And did you ever see any other safety concerns? Well, in, in our warehouse, it, it did sometimes get that hot. It did sometimes get that hot because, like I said, there are areas that didn't have fans. But even even where you actually have an HVAC, the temperature is controlled by corporate. It's controlled by headquarters in Seattle. They control your temperature range that you're allowed to have the air conditioned to. However, even when you're going to have that HVAC blowing, it might even be blowing out a little bit of um, somewhat cool air, right? Yeah. Well, that those gains are going to be erased because the problem that everybody knew that was affecting it, the, the shipping dock doors being open, hmm. all of that air just goes out, goes out the building. It doesn't stay in there. The fans don't get to circulate it around either. It doesn't get to circulate around between the aisles that people are picking and stowing in. You have you have two aisles and they have a bunch of cardboard and a bunch of apparel, plastic. That is an insulator. So obviously there's not going to be any airflow between those aisles unless you have a fan blowing inside of it. Mm-hmm. So the effect of that is people getting hot, burning up, and especially the older folks that are there, they can't deal with it. They cannot. Yeah. And um, there's so many articles from back in the day, because this was one of the first warehouses, where um, people would get drug out with heat stroke every day before they wow. even had HVAC, before they had fans. People don't realize that the only reason we have any amount of fans or any water coolers or even HVAC is the fact that Amazonians United was around. And those workers, they held a lot of demonstrations, work stoppages, and strikes. Yeah. So did the workers in France, Spain, Italy, all over Europe where Amazon has to let them unionize. You know, it's it's scary almost to think about the level of just discontempt that it seems like Amazon has for its own employees. You know, I mean, we heard about, you know, the stories that you're talking about with rates and time off task and you know like the the heat inside the warehouses them controlling it from across the country and i also saw last december that you know breaking points had covered a story about how a tornado ran through like eastern missouri and southern illinois destroying a warehouse and at the time it was reported that some of those employees tried to leave but amazon threatened them told them that they had to stay or else they were, you know, might be in jeopardy of losing their job. Now you had, a, you were in a warehouse in Kentucky at a similar time. Did you also experience something similar around that time when the tornadoes were coming through in December of, in 2021? Yes. At that time, Amazon put our lives at risk because 
you know, the the when this whole thing started and the tornado touched down in Taylor County, Kentucky. Yeah. That, that's near Campbellsville. That's the county that is in. Um people did not hear their PA system. The PA system that Amazon has that is supposed to warn you about the tornado. That is supposed to warn you about inclement leather. Um, that you're supposed to shelter in place. And instead, people heard their phones. The brand, you know, the emergency alert. Yeah. People heard their phones and um, they didn't know where to go. They knew what was going on but they didn't know where in the facility to go. And it's not as if there's a safe place in the facility in the first place. But because I was, I was an associate that was trained with this. I knew where people were supposed to go. I knew where the evacuation points was. I was trained as what they call a gimba wrap, which is in the lean manufacturing process. What gimba means is somebody who contributes to gradual improvements of processes and safety. Okay. You exist just to make Amazon look like they care. However, a lot of people think that you exist for something more because they don't actively participate in that role. But anyway, um, I had to leave employees from the, I had to lead employees from the fourth floor. I had to round them up. I had to use my emergency lights. I had it where it was flashing red. Um, you know, as, a, as in there's an emergency going on. And I led them down to what we call BC building. And that is where we have, um, that, that's where the HR office is now located, where the safety office is located. Basically, it's just a desk that they have over there. I led these people over there and we sheltered in place. Everybody was in there and we started learning about what happened in Edwardsville just a couple hours before. Yeah. This was like three in the morning on December 10th. And when we were learning about this, of course, people saw how deadly that was and they saw that Amazon was apathetic. They wanted to go home. They wanted to go home, but if you would have pushed your way through safety and went home, pushed your way through security and went home, then you could have been fired for that. And I knew people who went home and, you know, the way they were penalized was their time was taken away from them. We had that incident where an Amazon employee that night, a driver was fired and she had to go to Dave Clark. She had to go to Dave Clark to get her job back. That's one of the executives. He is now the um, the CEO of Amazon Web Services Division, I believe. He, he used to work at the Campbellsville site. Bezos was there. His wife was there. They were at the Campbellsville site and they neglected to even to even build up the infrastructure enough. The place that had arguably the greatest contribution to Amazon's success. They were willing to let those people die. Yeah, I mean, it's an indictment, you know, over and over again. I mean, like, I think we're seeing so much different just moments in time where Amazon just 
categorically does not care about their employees. And, and I think it's, it's important. It's important to just keep like putting that, like the, all these different instances out there, whether it's talking about, again, the heat or the tornado or, you know, like how they treat people like in the warehouse, never giving them any time. The reports we've heard about uh, people, you know, having to, you know, piss in bottles while they're, while they're, you know, Amazon drivers. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And, and you know, I think it kind of like leads into our next question that we have for you here, because honestly, you know, the, the question really becomes like, like why work for this company, right? <laughs> yeah. Amazon. So... Oh, I'm sorry, Eric. Oh, no worries. Uh, I was just gonna, he was, he just kind of teed me up here. <laughs> um, I was just going to ask, so why is it that you're choosing to organize your workplace and stay? Why did you make that decision instead of finding another job? Um, good question. Because finding another job, that is the easy way to do it. I tell people, you have the choice between one capitalist that treats you like shit, doesn't pay you enough, and another <laughs> one. That's the choice that you have. It, it's a very binary decision. Yeah. Or there's a third option. The third option is to organize and organize a company as large as Amazon. When you do that, the effect is that union sets standards again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's very well said. And obviously, I think that is a great segue into like the next part of our conversation. We're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to be talking about the unionization effort that you were trying to lead at your warehouse and the Amazon labor union. So everyone stay tuned. Hey, Indie Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode. Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage inspired clothing, shoes and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at bettysdivine.com. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through this episode of Independent Thought. So before we went on the break, we were talking about some of the different just like instances of 
workers not having safe working conditions. And we somehow forgot to mention a couple different things. Erica, what were some of the things that came to your mind? Yeah, I just I just wanted to bring up the recent fires at different Amazon warehouses. I know that there were three. Um, there was one at JFK 8 uh, and there was there were two others, um, I think also in Albany. And I forget where the other warehouse was, but they Amazon suspended over 50 workers for um, doing a work stoppage on uh, this in this recent fire at the um, Amazon warehouse in, in Staten Island. And so that just kind of, it's just such a blatant example of when people are worried about their safety in an, an Amazon workplace and they try to speak out about that, they just get punished, <laughs> you know, instead of listen to their concerns addressed, it's just really despicable. And I was wondering, Matt, if you had any thoughts about this or if you if you knew mo more about this that you want to share. So, it's it's tragic a, a lot of people could have been hurt mm -hmm. a lot of people could have been hurt again and we saw amazon's willingness to just let people suffer to just make them suffer go back into the workplace despite all of their cries to go home yeah. and um there, there have been a lot more warehouse fires than just those three yeah in illinois where they're organizing. Drew Dzinskas is one of the main organizers over there. Yeah. But at those Illinois warehouses like MDW2, MDW4, there have been fires mm. that weren't as big of a deal because they didn't have union presence. Or at least I shouldn't say they weren't as big of a deal. They just were underreported. Huh. And um, at these warehouses, Amazon does punish employees for speaking up too much. I have experienced this myself. Hmm. They were limiting my participation in the safety committee. They were limiting my participation in the Gimba process that I was explaining earlier mm -hmm. because I spoke up too much for employees. Okay. And of course, I mean, that was even worse after my union activities. Once they found out about that, they started limiting my participation there. They stopped telling me when the meetings were. Mm. They, yeah. yeah, and that's actually a great segue into what I wanted to ask you about next. You know, you decided to try to organize your workplace and in doing so, you chose the Amazon Labor Union. So the question I have for you is how has, you know, that been since then? Like how has your relationship been with Chris Smalls and the Amazon Labor Union and their support of you as you've been trying to organize your workplace? I I joined the Amazon Labor Union. Well, our organizing committee joined the ALU because we thought that was what was going to resonate with Amazon workers the best. 100% Amazon worker-led union. Doesn't that sound really appealing? It sounds independent. It sounds like it's fighting the class struggle. It it sounds like it's really going to work out. And then we realized that, you know, we were courting other unions. Mm -hmm. We were courting the machinists and aerospace workers. And we were talking a lot with our local Teamsters. And Chris Smalls finally got into contact with us. My mentor was with us when we talked to Chris Smalls and Connor. Connor, um, 
Connor Spence, the treasurer. Mm -hmm. They made us an offer that we couldn't refuse of unconditional support. Okay. We couldn't refuse that offer. And it was better than the offers we had got when we were courting other unions. And we chose to go with the ALU. And then, unfortunately, after I got fired, we were organizing. We were getting authorization cards started, signed. We were distributing so much literature at our warehouse. We were winning hearts and minds. And then Amazon Labor Union did not have my back after that. Hmm. They did not want to give us the resources that we needed to continue to operate. They knew I was going to have unemployment issues because Amazon has so much power. The employer has so much power in the unemployment process. They can dispute every single one of your claims and your payment requests. Okay. And they can, they can drag it out. For me, they drug it out for more than a month. And I don't know how, how much they're going with it right now. So Chris Smalls in the ALU, only individuals within the ALU would help me out. But the people who actually had a following, who actually had the means to help me out, they could have shared my fundraiser on their website, my survival fund. I was living off those donations. Mm -hmm. And they did not, mm -hmm. despite repeated cries to do it. And the person that is the lead organizer at... Albany Fulfillment Center had my back on this because she was experiencing something similar and they did not listen to her hmm. and they knew that what this was going to culminate in was a loss in an ALU presence in Kentucky workers are, are not naive I was naive because I was young but they're not naive because they're going to see how people are treated. Actions speak louder than words. Just for clarification's sake, what is it that you wish would have happened that did not happen? I'm sorry, you cut out. Uh, yeah, just for clarification's sake, what do you wish would have happened? What do you wish that the, the Amazon Labor Union would have done that they did not do? I wish they would have had my back. I wish they would have supported me throughout this whole thing. And that means supporting me publicly, um, but also keeping with, um, keep, keeping with the support of our organizing committee as well. So continuing to coach myself and these individuals, be with us there through the whole process, tell us how, how can we continue to organize now that the main leader of this thing is on the outside. Okay. And actually deliver the t-shirts that they promised. Deliver um, all of the signs and all that other good supplies that they promised. Hmm. Support hmm. us. And we had a desire to do work stoppages after I was fired. And they, they really didn't want to get behind that. Hmm. They, they gave me legal support in my unfair labor practices. However, that legal support coming from Seth Goldstein, as good as that sounds, the labor board is a resource that is provided to us for free. I can go and file these charges and I have filed charges before against Amazon for their retaliation. 
it's free. The only one who pays is the employer when the labor board orders them to. So if this would result in me getting my job back, then great. And and that only costs the employee something, the employer something. That's not material support. That's like saying, we got your back, right? We'll pat on the back, keep chugging along. Yeah, Erica, I think, um, you know, when it comes to the next question here, I, I think that Matt kind of already answered it in his, yeah, his first totally. answer there. So is there, <laughs> is there another question that you might want to just ad lib in here or should we um, just skip over? Hmm. Uh, let me think. Yeah, I mean, I'm very curious about all of this. I know that... Um, the resources are spread very thin with the ALU. I know that they haven't, even though they won that initial election, they haven't won a union contract. So people aren't really mm -hmm. getting paid for this work. So they're doing a ton of unpaid work um, and being pulled in a thousand different directions, which I don't know. I, I think it would be hard to to attend to all the different people, all the different warehouses and, and give them as much um, support as they need from that position. I, I can imagine that being a difficult thing, but yeah, I mean, was, was that, that, um, legal support, was that at all financially helpful or was it just, it sounded like it didn't, didn't help much at all. Um, it didn't help much at all. Like mm -hmm. Seth Goldstein and the students that are working with him, there's like, mm -hmm. Him and one other student, the only way they financially helped me was, I think they donated $25 a piece to me hmm. to help out. And yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah. They, yeah, um, they didn't help share my fundraiser around, but like, yeah, that's not the same as Chris Smalls doing that. Yeah. That's yeah. not the same as the ALU saying, Hey, we have your back here. Yeah, totally. It wouldn't even make a public statement on it. Hmm. Right. And while this is going on, you were saying that Amazon was coming in and trying to do different like union busting like tactics, you know, like, you know, this is before that you actually, you know, like left the company. Could you just talk to us briefly about what exactly that looks like? Because, you know, I've been hearing, you know, from like SB Workers United about, you know, Starbucks doing union busting. I hear more perfect union talking about union busting as someone who experienced it. What does that look like? Um, as far as like Amazon is concerned, like what did they come down and do while they, after they realized that that was happening? Yeah. And Amazon. Okay. So this started happening to me in April after the Amazon labor unions victory, Amazon started uh, doing things. Initially they started um, cracking down on security measures. So they started having security guards patrolling the areas where workers were toiling quite a bit more um every 45 minutes they had to check the bathrooms and i had a security guard tell me they were looking for union materials and um that's you know that they were going to remove them and that they um they're going to investigate like to see who put them there and who knows about it that's that's like the first crackdown now whenever it started to affect me personally the crackdown took the form of um, before I even got disciplined, they started coming after me with whisper campaigns. The type of whisper campaigns that are meant to disrupt your organizing committee instill fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And they, that did start affect our organizing. They were saying things like, Matt is gonna get fired and Matt 
and all of his associates, everybody who's organizing with him or wants a union, they're going to get fired. And they were also saying things like management is meeting about this daily. Isn't that illegal? Um, yeah. Whisper campaigns are not illegal unless you can oh. prove that management said it. Oh, okay. Okay. But, but so firing it, it is illegal if you get caught. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah. here's, here's another thing to add to that. Um, at this, at this fulfillment center, it's a small town. You have favoritism. Mm. People know each other. You have people that have been there since the doors open, but they really haven't had any upward mobility in their jobs yet. They're close to management. They're close to management. And so that's how they know exactly what management wants them to say and give them plausible deniability. They pick their favorites and they get the favorites to spread the whispers. Hmm. Creepy. And the favorites will do this. If they've been there for 20 years, they're most likely very comfortable. Yeah. Because in a rural area where the cost of living is relatively lower than average, um, they are comfortable making $21 an hour. You know, they already bought their house. They already own their house. They just got to pay the property taxes. Right. So should I go on to the next question here? Okay. Um, so Matt, I was wondering, is there a final message that a final message that you'd want to share with people about your personal story and uh, yeah, your work trying to unionize Amazon? Support all workers in their union struggles. <laughs> you, you have to reach out for them. Get oh, yeah. If you know something about unionizing or if you want to learn something, there are so many resources out there, like the Emergency Workplace Organizing Committee. Mm-hmm. You have union locals. There's a union local in pretty much every area in the United States. Or there's a labor council. Or there's a Democratic Socialist of America. Or there's a Starbucks that's organizing. You can get in the same spaces as them. You can wear union apparel and wait for an employee to talk to you. They might if they're interested, right? That's yeah. a tactic that I've seen a lot. Um, get in the same online spaces as they are. All workplaces have some kind of fraternalizing, right? They all get together. Maybe it's a Facebook group. Maybe it's a Discord. Um, perhaps it's some local bar where they all go after work to go there, right? Mm -hmm. You get in those spaces, you talk to them, you tell them what's up, what you want to help them out with. You you offer some mutual aid. Mutual aid, the purpose of mutual aid is because, um, well, for one, it's having empathy with your fellow human beings and doing something for them. Mm -hmm. Um, You feel good for doing it. They feel great for receiving it. It improves their conditions. And you make a material difference in their life. That's going to help you organize. Why? Because you can stand outside the warehouse and you can hand out flyers or you can hand out food. You can hand out food and you can leave your contact information in there. Hand out food and, uh, you know, talk to them quite a while. That's what works. That's what worked in Staten Island where they were feeding employees all the time. You know, speaking of which, you know, this is the final question that I have for you, you know, for those people who are listening right now and who might want to figure out like how they can like directly help out you in particular, how can listeners, you know, help you out and your organization efforts as you continue to go forward with this? 
Well, I, I am still having trouble getting unemployment. They have recently um, disputed my last claim. I, in, in the state of Kentucky, you have to be looking for work when you are getting unemployment. So you have to be submitting job applications. Then you have to tell them in your payment request what, where you applied to, who was the hiring manager and all that stuff. Well, they sent me a letter today that said, um, we're rejecting your payment because you do not have adequate transportation to your job. The, job I, the jobs I applied for are work from home jobs. This is how ridiculous it is. And this is going to cost me a lot of time in the appeals process to try and get it. So if you can spare something, I would love that. Or if you can just help me get the message out, share this episode, share previous episodes, share articles that I'm featured in, um, interact with me on social media. I, I'm I'm very, I like to get to know people who like what I have to say. So you can DM me. You can, you can talk to me on TikTok. You can email me. All that. I like that solidarity. Absolutely. And where can people find, you know, find you online if they want to reach out? My Twitter handle is, I'm most active on Twitter. I, I don't like Instagram much. They don't want to let me post. But um, on Fair. Twitter, it's at Amazon Union of KY. Um, and on TikTok, it's um, Amazon Union KY. All right. And for those who are interested, those links will be in the episode description. Erica, thank you for co-hosting with me today. Where can people find you out online if they want to learn more about you and your podcast? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I'm I'm the host of the Cocktails and Capitalism podcast. Um, if, if folks want to listen to that, that would be great. We basically are a storytelling podcast that shines light on different aspects of our capitalist hellscape. And we pair every single story with a crafted cocktail so we try to make it fun we try to make it light um so yeah please go find us spotify apple wherever you listen to podcasts um and then if you want to follow me on instagram i'm very active there at cocktails and capitalism or on on twitter at cocked capitalism <laughs> it's kind of an awkward name <laughs> <laughs> all right everyone as before those episode those links will be in the episode description so go ahead and just click into the episode description now and you will see those links thank you to everyone who checked out this episode please as matt said as matt said earlier please share the episode on instagram facebook twitter tiktok and we will see you in the next episode yay cheers So Erica, thank you for joining on the podcast today. Really do appreciate that in our special little epilogue here to our episode. This is like the first time that I actually had a co-host come on and do the podcast <laughs> with me, a new experience. How did you enjoy being on Independent Thought for your first appearance? Oh, <laughs> thank you so much, Desmond. It was really, really fun. And yeah, I don't know. You you definitely have a different approach to recording episodes than I do on my podcast, but I really like the way that you do this and the way that you just kind of like, I don't know, you you have things laid out and you just drive through it. You just go straight through it. And, <laughs> and it yeah, it's brilliant. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I think I might have mentioned this on a previous episode, but 
you know, I used to get so nervous doing podcasts in general, and I get a little nervous still, but like, I used to get like really nervous. And so like, I was trying (laughs) to figure out like, how can I get through this to kind of like better manage my own anxiety? And for me, it was like, you know what, let me just be semi-organized to a degree. Like, I don't want to have like a script because that just feels a little like less authentic, but I wanted to like make sure I had all my bullet points in order and figuring out how I wanted to structure the episode. And, and so, yeah, it's just a, a, I guess the thing that really works for me, but I'm looking forward to having Mm -hmm. you come back on the podcast in a few weeks for just you and I's like solo episode. So oh, I appreciate yeah. that you're coming back on for a, a second round of independent thought. <laughs> oh, totally. That one's going to be a really fun discussion. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know, I would love to do this more with you just kind of co-hosting. It's an interesting way to have these, um, the, these deep conversations about important topics, um, having your brain kind of diving into it in my brain as well. Like, I think it's right. a really good approach, but yeah. yeah. And I, th- I think particularly with this episode. You know, you, your podcast is focused on talking about capitalism and Mm -hmm. specifically, you know, like talking about why capitalism is destroying everything (laughs) like Uh that. And so like when I first came across your podcast, like I think, you know, I've talked to you about this, like, you know, privately and then like on your show itself, like Mm -hmm. I was, I'm like in a headspace where I'm just like, yes, I recognize that capitalism is destroying everything. But I'm like wondering, like, can it be saved? I don't know. I'm kind of like, you're mm-hmm. actually like, I think talking to you more is kind of like putting me into like an existential crisis about it. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in a gray area right now. I'm just like, damn, maybe she's right. But, you know, in regards to Amazon, though, it, mm-hmm. it feels like, and I, I mentioned this before, like I talked about Amazon last year and I talked about mm-hmm. them, you know, like I think multiple times last year, earlier this year as well. I had another guy come on, Joey DeSatnik. Uh, He was trying to organize Mm, an Amazon uh, warehouse in the Cleveland area. Now we're talking to Matt and I'm just hearing these stories again and again and again. And it it feels as though Amazon might just be the personification of capitalism as a whole, (laughs) right? Just like the rate they gobble everything up, the rate that they, you know, expand and don't seem to care about like how many things are destroyed in the wake of their expansion. And mm-hmm. how they go out of their way to treat their employees as as subhuman in, in certain regards. I mean, what what are your thoughts on it? Absolutely. I think you're totally right about that um, in so many different ways. Like first, Amazon is the biggest employer in America. So they are huge when it comes to capitalism. And, and you know, America is the capitalist epicenter of the world. So the biggest company in the biggest capitalist country, it's that's huge. In addition, they they are also um, the kind of face of this new form of production that we're seeing under capitalism, where, you know, they have, basically they're swallowing up all these other industries and then everything is being consolidated into these warehouses where people are being forced to work like they're being working in a plantation. They're, you know, they're trying to do things super fast. They don't get breaks. They're having having to pee in bottles, shit like that, you know? So I think, when you're talking about like where capitalism is heading right now, Amazon is where it's heading. <laughs> you know? It is, it is what, you know, our whole system of production, consumption, distribution is going to be looking like into the future more and more. So, um, so the fact that 
folks at Amazon are trying to unionize and the fact that one of the warehouses succeeded in this is really monumental when you're talking about combating the exploitative forces of capitalism and and these mega corporations that are swallowing everything else up and you know making it so that other ways of living are now unsustainable unattainable even yeah and i i think for me the reason why i kept coming back to it i, I wasn't just focusing on it just from a from a, a lens of you know we need to tie in how amazon is i guess like a personification of capitalism but rather for me with this podcast, I've always been asking myself this one repetitive question, which is what can I talk about that's going to elevate a conversation or that's going to have an impact for those who might listen? Like, I don't know yeah. if like 50 people are listening to an episode, a hundred, a thousand, I'm not sure who, how many people are going to mm -hmm. listen, but like, how can I bring a productive and important conversation and maybe like also give a perspective that might not be readily be coming through like i guess you would say like commercial channels or your mainstream channels so on and so forth and when yeah. i think about amazon i remember going through last year and when i first came across this i i think i actually was um it might have been on last week tonight john oliver i think is and his team are severely underrated with some of the reporting that They're they so do good. so good and they were talking to amazon workers in the, in the san bernardino valley um over in California, and they were talking about how they would have to, you know, make rate, which is why I brought that up in this episode. Mm -hmm. And they would have to pick like 300 things per hour. And to hit that mark, there were so many times where they felt like they had to run through the warehouse, yeah. but they also weren't allowed to run through the warehouse <laughs> because so, it's insane. <laughs> right. Because it was a safety violation. Yeah. So if you got caught running through the warehouse, they would write you up. And at the same time, if you didn't make right, they would write you up. Yeah. And it was just like, they had no idea what they were supposed to do because Amazon, you know, it was putting other businesses out around in their town. And like, they just seemed you know, like, they felt like it was like the the best option they had for work, but at a certain point, like you couldn't continue to work for a company that just grinded you into dust. Like it was almost that, like they were trying to get people to quit after a while. Oh yeah. And they absolutely are like the turnover rate that we were talking about in this episode. It is so massive. Um, and I mean, it's by design that they are making their workplaces like unworkable, you know, because yeah. they want people to be, you know, there for a very short time, short time so that they can't organize, get comfortable, get benefits, get like, you know, the, the things that you need to make any kind of work life sustainable. Uh, they, they want to make it so that you're running across the warehouse and maybe going to get in trouble for that. And maybe going to get in trouble, you know, if you don't run also, because then they have the power, they can choose exactly when they want to fire you. They can like, they can completely just cycle people in and out and make sure that no one will ever be able to, none of the workers will ever be able to build their power and be able to bargain with, with the people in charge. So, right. And yeah, you know, I, I think looking at that fact, it led me to my next like logical conclusion in my head, because as I'm talking to people about different things going on, like last year, we talked about, you know, uh, lead in our water supply mm -hmm. talked about, yeah. um, critical race theory on my podcast talked mm -hmm. about like um, New York City medallion taxi drivers and the problems they were going through over in the East. And, and just like going through like issue by issue by issue, I was always talking to people about like how we needed to all get more involved. But at the same mm -hmm. time, it also becomes abundantly clear, especially through this Biden administration, that 
the voices of those who got this person, this president elected are largely being ignored. And so mm -hmm. how can you continue mm -hmm. to say like, oh, well, just let's go back to these politicians and ask again, when all of our asking isn't really being met with anything whatsoever, you know, other yeah. than just being told to just shut up and kind of just like sit down and, and take your turn and we'll, maybe we'll get to you later, which yeah. has led me to talking more and more about unions. Mm -hmm. Because if politicians aren't going to step up and do what's necessary <laughs> in order to fight back against this, this, these corporations who are willing to treat us just however they see fit, then yeah. there has to be some answer. The answer can't be nothing. And so my new focus has been talking about unions a lot because if they won't protect us, we have to protect ourselves, right? Yeah. <laughs> they don't keep us safe. We keep us safe. <laughs> and, and that that's kind of like where my head's been at right now. I, I think mm -hmm. the Democratic Party, I never had a whole lot of faith in them, but I was hoping that after all the energy that was generated in 2020, you know, through like months of protests, you know, the pandemic, just like the yeah. huge mobilization that came out to get Biden elected to, you know, to get Trump out of office. I was hoping mm -hmm. that some of that would turn into like real action. And it yeah. just really hasn't materialized. I know some people will give Biden credit for student loan debt, you know, like 10 yeah. to 20,000 being forgiven or, you know, like him having a strong stance against, you know, codifying, well, having a strong stance about codifying Roe v. Wade into law. Mm -hmm. But I, I just feel as though what's been happening so far is very minimal in comparison mm -hmm. to what could be done. And it, it's not enough. It's it's yeah. not yeah. an appropriate response to the amount of different crises that we're facing as a nation right now. Yeah. Absolutely. And Erica, I thank you for coming on the show today and taking the time to talk with me about all this for everyone who is interested, definitely go check out Erica's podcast, mm -hmm. Cocktails and Capitalism. I've been on an episode, and yeah, you I think awesome you should go it. listen to that episode and oh, several yeah. other episodes. I mean, how many are you up to now? Oh, gosh, I don't even know. Um, it's probably close to 70, 80, maybe? So right. third season. Yeah. <laughs> right. So if you have a job or you can listen to a podcast, you know, this is the time go subscribe <laughs> Apple, Spotify, go check out her podcast and also follow her on Instagram where the posts are relentless and they are always of high quality. <laughs> oh, thank you. So high, much, high quality. <laughs> uh, you're, so, you're so nice. And uh, yeah, it's really an honor to just be working with you. I respect what you're doing so much and your ability to fairly and intelligently frame so many different important discussions. So um, thanks for working with me. It's been an honor and I can't wait to come back on your show. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Erica. I I look forward to the next time that we have to do this and hopefully we'll get to share some more posts on Instagram in the future. Oh, yeah. For everyone who checked <laughs> out this episode, as I was saying at the end of the episode before the epilogue, Definitely share this episode on social media, Instagram, mm -hmm. Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, you know, wherever you spend your time at, mostly. <laughs> we will see everyone in the next episode. Awesome. Cheers. <laughs>